I think humor is an underappreciated tool in terms of dealing with doubts. Because definitely I have doubts, but I just laugh at them. For example, last year when I was going to join this group, or if I'm about to go into a race and I don't feel totally set or whatever, like the ability to laugh at yourself is just is so key. And I think there's probably a humility in that as well. And like, again, if you're going to go into it, maybe like an acceptance of what is, you probably could get like some, a little bit more heady in terms of explaining why, but like, if you take the why out of it, just laughing at the doubts is probably my, is like maybe my, my number one tactic, which, and again, I think what that is also is just like not taking yourself so seriously that you're going to like freak out and get in your own way, you know? was Kate Grace. I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and you are listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Every week on this show, I glean insight and inspiration from athletes, coaches, and other personalities to help show you what's possible through the lens of running. I also put out a weekly newsletter, conveniently called The Morning Shakeout, which comes out on Tuesday mornings and features an eclectic and interesting roundup of things that I've been thinking about reading and listening to lately. You can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe, and your first issue will arrive next week. Okay, my guest for this one is Kate Grace. She's a lot of things, not least of which is a 2016 Olympian in the 800 meters and one of the top middle distance runners in the U.S. for much of the past 10 years. At the age of 33, she's running faster than ever and isn't showing any signs of slowing down soon. But there's so much more to Kate than just her speed. I've always respected her for her individuality and outlook on the sport. I appreciate her attitude and longevity as an athlete, and I'm inspired by her confidence, but also the fact that she doesn't try to take herself too seriously. We talked about all of those things and then some in this episode of the podcast, but before we get into it, I'd like to thank Tracksmith for supporting this episode of the show. When we commit to consistency in January, we're committing to the process and all the ups and downs that will inevitably follow. Training through winter is tough. There's no way around it. Dark days, harsh weather, and fledgling motivation will test that commitment. Tracksmith's No Days Off campaign is their annual call for patience, persistence, and participation in running. It's not about running every day and never taking a day off, but rather a recognition that little and often beats grand acts of ruinous excess. Doing a little something every day with intention will help you better embrace the elements so you can continue training through the darkest days of winter and reap the benefits come spring. The No Days Off collection is designed to help you weather Mother Nature's worst and features staples for getting out the door in the most miserable of conditions. One of my favorite pieces is the Down Easter Half Zip. It's made out of merino wool, so it regulates heat really well in a variety of winter conditions. Plus, it's the nicest looking shirt that I own, and it looks great to wear out and about after the run. Go to tracksmith.com slash Mario to check out some of my favorite apparel picks and use the code Mario at checkout to get free shipping on your order while also helping support LA Saves Track, a campaign to rebuild the dilapidated track and field facilities at Los Angeles High School, providing access and pathways to opportunity for the student athletes at LA's oldest school. 
This episode is also brought to you by the Kaiser Permanente San Francisco Half Marathon 10K and 5K. With in-person races coming back into the fold, your winter racing calendar is probably filling up fast. Consider adding one of my favorite races to your lineup, the 38th edition of the Kaiser Permanente San Francisco Half Marathon 10K and 5K on February 6th, 2022. There's something here for everyone, and the folks at Kaiser Permanente are there to support you every step of the way. I've raced the half marathon here on multiple occasions. I actually won the first edition of the 10K a few years ago, and I'd love for you to come join me for one of this year's races. It's an amazing event that runs through Golden Gate Park and along the Pacific Ocean on the Great Highway. It's actually one of San Francisco's least hilliest races, and I just can't say enough good things about it. Race amenities include long sleeve t-shirts, custom finishers medals, and a variety of food and beverage offerings in the post-race festival. You can register today at getfitkpsf.com slash race and use the code SHAKEOUT, that's all caps, when you check out before January 31st to save 10 bucks on your registration fee. That's getfitkpsf.com slash race and use the code SHAKEOUT for 10 bucks off of your registration fee. Okay, please enjoy my conversation with Kate Grace. Well, after maybe half a dozen attempts to try and make this happen, here we are. Kate, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be talking with you. Well, we're having this conversation at the beginning of 2022, and this is another big year in track and field circles. The world championships are going to be held here in the U.S. We're coming off an Olympic year. That's weird in itself. Usually there's a gap year between Olympics and world championships. And I'm just interested in how you're feeling about it all here at the start of the year. I'm really looking forward to just having a ton of fun with with running this year. In a way, yeah, it's kind of weird having two big years in a row. But I also like that because it's like almost like feels as though we can keep the momentum going. Mm-hmm. I think part of it, it's funny. One of the reasons that we were off and on early on is that like, I mean, I told you I ended up having a great season, like, so, well, a good summer season after not making the team last year. And I did a lot of podcasts about it. And then I kind of, kind of like over podcasted or just thought that I had nothing else to say that was of interest. Um, and so it was it's fun. I'm happy to like now be on the other <laughs> side of a fall training block. and like actually looking forward to new races, you know? Yeah, it's it's funny you say that. I had written in my my notes here. I have the text that you sent me. You're like, honestly, I just don't want to talk about anything to do with the summer season. I'm like, that's fine. We don't have to talk about the summer season at all. But why, I mean, while we're on the topic, I'm curious, why didn't you want to talk about it back last fall when we were trying to set this up for the first time? I just kind of got bored of my responses. You know, um, I thought that at one point, I was excited about what I had done, but I also like wanted to start refocusing toward future goals and new races. Um, and it's kind of that thing where they say like, never, or I'm going to don't even know the quote. What's the quote? It's like, don't take yourself on your best or your worst day um, or something like that. It's basically, but basically the idea being that like, 
I was letting myself kind of live in this excite, excited phase for a little bit long. And I wanted to just, um, yeah, let be level and then, uh, not be living in the past. Mm-hmm. When you were going through that period where you were doing a lot of media following or during really like your, your summer racing season after the Olympic trials, did you ever have any time to yourself to just sit down like on your own in a quiet room to sit there and think about it and process it? Or was that hard to do because you were just talking about it all the time? Hmm. It was a little hard to do. I definitely was in a little bit of like a heightened state. I, mm-hmm. um, the way I could kind of tell, for example, one of the things is like, I stopped reading books. Like I was just so like excited all the time that it's funny. I've seen you re- write about this, like where, um, you've taken breaks from social media and different stuff. It was like, not everything was, everything was going too slow for me. Right. Like I was so hyped that all I could do was like manically scroll through my phone and listen to music or whatever. Um, so I wasn't very good about necessarily, uh, being reflective. I did do a journal like almost all of last year, which was kind of nice and like a nice little, like that was a way to force myself to do some reflecting, um, on different thoughts I was having. Um, yeah, but I don't know. It is funny. I think part of it is one of those things like it's was kind of the same when I've had other big years, like in 2016, like the magnitude of the, of me running well doesn't fully hit like we like the world rankings just came out and I was ranked fourth um according to track and field news which like still blows me away it was almost like I didn't fully realize yeah it was like I didn't fully realize like the extent of kind of how well I was performing when did all of that fall excitement finally start to settle down and did you reach a point where you were able to just like breathe easy for a minute and be like ah okay, I can just relax for a bit now. <laughs> um, uh, I always do. I mean, like I ended up, I had such a fun fall. I, I saw a lot of friends. I went, um, there was a few different weddings that had been postponed and I went, I was able to do. So there was a lot of like good things. I don't know if I was necessarily relaxed ever. Um, honestly, in a weird way, I ended up getting sick over Christmas and th- that was like a weird kind of forced downtime which so probably honestly not until like the last few weeks when I like did was like forced to stay home basically um and like uh have some more downtime which I think in the end was probably a positive is that important to you especially heading into another big year where the stakes are going to be very high at the professional level to have that downtime before going into it Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, It's interesting right now, um, just thinking about like this training block. I think I've always, um, I've always like kind of segmented my year in terms of training camps because that's what we would always do in other groups. Uh, And so this year, it's not kind of the same this year. We're kind of just, we're staying in Boulder because Boulder is like a great place to train and you can be more settled. But it is interesting because usually that is usually like what happens is I have a mental switch. Like, okay, I'm like, okay, I'm starting the year. I'm going to go to this. I'm going to go kind of live a monk life for six weeks, get really dialed. And I really thrive off of that. Um, so right now it's like I'm ha- I'm kind of forcing, it's like forcing myself to find ways to do that in my like 
quote unquote daily life here, you know, like realize I can still find like quiet and rejuvenation or whatever. And I don't need to like fly somewhere to do that. Mm -hmm. You haven't been in Boulder all that long. Does it feel like home to you right now? Because you've had a pretty like nomadic professional career. I mean, I've lost count of the number of places that you've called home and trained. And as you mentioned, you go to training camps like all the time, but now just like being in Boulder, where you're based, where your group is based, which is also at altitude, does does it feel like home or has that not sunk in yet for you? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I don't know where has felt like home. Like I've been, yeah, I have been very nomadic since college. So it maybe not in a traditional way, but that doesn't freak me out because I feel like I haven't had that feeling like literally since I left home for school, you know? Um, so I find home, quote unquote, in different, like that security in different settings. Um, it's not like I need it in a place. Um, the group here feels like very comfort comfortable and I feel like I have great communication with everybody and that's been great. Basically, essentially like last year I was, I left Portland. So, um, and like was basically on like an extended training trip. Like Patrick was in Portland still and I just would was here for eight months and basically with no like home base. So the fall was kind of trying about changing that. We actually ended up, um, we ended up buying a place here um, a few months ago. So that was like exciting and kind of one step for us to kind of um, solidify that we were going to be here for longer. Um, I, I say that like literally since school, I've, ne I've never like put paintings on the walls, right? <laughs> like made holes in the walls because it was always rentals. So um, just small stuff like that is making it, is starting to switch. Um, no small, that's huge. Oh yeah. But <laughs> I mean like, um, I mean putting paintings in the walls. I don't know. Um, yeah, and, yeah. Um, so that's been like really exciting. And there's been stuff like that that's just been like, um, yeah, that's been like making me feel, I guess, more like this is home or like, or like I'm putting down roots at least, you know, maybe mm -hmm. it's, um, and yeah, I mean, that's the other thing that's been interesting about my running career is that while I have been so many different places, like I do maintain very strong connections, um, with people. And I very much feel like I have my community that like supports me regardless of where I am. Um, and Patrick has been like a big part of that. Like he's basically, I mean, he's been my like boyfriend or partner since um, before the 2016 year. So like all like, major changes in my career, he's always been there for me. And so I think like in a few different ways, even though I move around, I feel like I have my core crew that is always there, you know? Mm -hmm. What is it about Boulder that finally led you to make the decision to like, lay your roots down there and to buy a home and see yourself there for at least the foreseeable future? I don't know. It was just like right time. <laughs> it was like, okay, we need to do something. Um, I mean, I think I have a, some, I mean, I have a great connection with the training group here. Um, like have absolutely loved working with Joe as a coach. Um, but then in terms of longer term, um, I actually have like some family connections here as well. Like my sister went to school here. My dad worked at the university. So I've actually like, even though been, um, I've actually like 
uh, yeah, had some connection to Boulder for like the last decade. Um, and I've always really loved mountain towns and felt like, um, I don't know, kind of more like that, like my place was mountain town. So, um, I don't know. How does everyone, how does one know? <laughs> I mean, it's so funny in the world, like right now, especially with remote work, um, it's like the peril there, you get paralyzed by choice. Right. So yeah. this seemed as good a place of any as any just to try it. <laughs> no, I, I know what you mean. And I think sometimes it just, you know, when you know, it just feels right. And you're like, okay, I feel like this is the decision that we need to make right now. And it doesn't mean that it's like permanent till the end of time. But like you said, you're at a point of your life where it, it just, you know, felt right and it needed to happen. And here you are. Totally. I'm very much in that like frame of mind that it's decisions. I think people in so many different realms of life, like put too much weight on decisions and, and think that they're like, that, that, that they can't be changed. Right. And mm -hmm. so I think that you're never going to know unless you try something out and may as well, um, try it out. And then with the understanding that like, you'll quickly figure out if it's the right decision or not, you know? Um, I've always in a weird way been very good at that with my running and like life choices in that sense. Um, I think in other senses and maybe not as much, like if when I think about like what I'm going to do next in my, my career, like after running or whatever, I tend to get more paralyzed. Um, but in terms of things that like, I'm good at and have had success at, I, I tend to be pretty good about making decisions and not over, not over worrying about like what's going to happen two years from now. Have you always known that about yourself? I've been kind of aware of that and more and more, I guess, recognized it. I think I've also just recognized that my career as a runner has been a little bit unique and I've just tried to figure out why that is. And, um, I think, it does seem that for some reason I don't have like the block around making changes um, that I not, I don't have the fear factor um, that like making changes is going to like ruin something. Mm -hmm. While we're on the topic of place and I, you're like the one person that I know of who is uniquely qualified to answer this question, but people argue all the time. Like, what's the best place to train? Is it Denver? <laughs> is it Portland? Is it California? Is it even the East Coast where you spent some time? What do you think? <laughs> I, again, I really do think that it matters so much what your other circumstances are that are going to support the training. I mean, that was my big thing. It was so hard when I was first with GAGS in New Jersey, New York, it was so devastating, like telling him I had to leave. Um, and this was years ago, but it was just like, the East coast was great. What he had set up was great. But for me, all my family, all my resources were on the West coast. Like it wasn't going to be the, it, I wasn't going to be there for eight years and feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I so deeply believe that like a lot of places can work really well for running and it really, you really need, um, to know yourself and know what other aspects of your life are important and that like, you'll be able to do those as well. Um, yeah. So what are those other aspects for you specifically? <laughs> um, the, the, I feel like I've been, I have fewer of those aspects more and more. Um, I mean, I think for me, like, I mean, I guess that all said, like for me, the last few years have very much been trying to get, um, trying to 
I guess, I mean, I answered that whole question and then I feel like the past few years, I really have just moved just for training. <laughs> but the, um, I, I think, I mean, I guess proximity to family and ease of, I mean, the other things like for me in terms of a training setup is like what ease of, um, good running, relatively good weather, like, uh, accessible airport. This is for elite athlete, like that you want to mm-hmm. be able fly somewhere um uh physical therapists or physios and again like i think now there are so many different cities especially like mid-tier cities that end up being very good for that um like ones that are maybe a little bit smaller so there's still like access to open space i mean sacramento was great for that um boulder obviously is incredible um it's interesting right now with the like middle altitude i've never done living in altitude all year round. So that's like a little bit different for me. Um, but right now in terms of my running career, like I very much just love the training setup and like really, really enjoy like the coach relationship here that is like unique to what I've had before in that like Joe is younger and it's much more collaborative. Um, and I think that what I've needed in terms of training has changed a lot. And when I was younger, I probably did need more like proximity to family and support mm-hmm. systems or maybe like being close to a sponsor so that like money, I, I could get a lot more financial support from them. Uh, and now I feel much, I'm much more independent in those senses. Um, and like Patrick can come with me. So I have like built in kind of support, family support. Um, but so now it's really like, wow, if this is really great, like collaborative training, um, that's my number one priority. Let's go a little bit deeper into that. When you say collaborative training setup, and that's the relationship that you have with your current coach, Joe Bossard, what does that look like specifically on a day-to-day basis? I'm also saying that. And I mean, I doubt he would listen to this, but if he does, he'd be like, Kate, you're being an idiot. I just coach you. Um, I think the biggest thing is that I feel comfortable like speaking up. Um, and this, I think honestly is maybe more my issue that I had with when I was a little bit younger or with coaches who were like, I felt there was a bigger age gap is that I am just like, have done this now for 10 years. I've really, I've done a lot of my own like background research. I really enjoy learning about different training techniques. Uh, I especially enjoy the like kind of uh, auxiliary parts where like learning about like how to stay healthy, how to come back from injury, uh, recovery stuff. And I have like my own theories and like things that I do to keep myself in like, like, kind of all in line. Um, and I think for a long time, I just didn't feel comfortable sharing that with coaches. So I would either like kind of hide it or, um, yeah, just like not, it was, it was weirdly like not enough there. Um, I wasn't kind of speaking up to myself or asking questions or like saying if I thought that I needed something different. Um, and I, it, that's like, somewhat changed and I feel like I can do that now um and it's not that he's always gonna like take the advice but he Mm -hmm. doesn't and if he doesn't like he'll tell me why not or whatever it just like is much more communicative um yeah which at this point seems like more reasonable I think a lot of athletes end up kind of transitioning into that after they've been doing it for however many however many years do you think that's something that a lot of young 
elite aspiring professional athletes struggle with is that ability to stand up for themselves, to speak up, to just like, you know, share honestly with their coach or their training partners, like their thoughts on what they need to do to either keep themselves healthy or the type of training that they respond best to. Yeah, I do think it, I do think so. But I also it's such a fine line because I think there's also so much value in just learning and soaking up someone's system, right? And there's a reason that people have become great coaches. And like, at one point, if you're a young athlete, like you, you don't know everything, right? So you do want to just try different systems. Um, and I think part of it is also like, I don't know, the beauty of being a young athlete is like you also, there's like a little bit more, um, you almost have more space to kind of experiment. Maybe a little bit because like your body's going to bounce back. Um, And it's can be good just to like go all in and try something new, you know? Uh, I mean, I definitely think I try to do that early on and um, it was like two tracks at once. Like you're at once like doing what your coach tells you and having all this new stimulus Mm -hmm. and then also trying to like kind of do your own background research and learn about what works for you. Uh, And it just takes, I think a few years to maybe integrate that. Um, But yeah, definitely like there can be hiccups early on in terms of when do you speak up for yourself and hold your own versus when do you um, like kind of give in and let someone guide you and, uh, I mean, I definitely had issues. Like, I think so many people go through that. I don't know if there's really a perfect answer to how to, um, like a perfect answer, except that you have to, I don't know, like learn from trial and error, I guess. Yeah. I feel like those things come with time and experience and putting yourself in some different situations as you have over the course of your professional career. Mm-hmm. You're 33 now. You've been a pro for a little over 10 years along the lines of what we've been talking about here what advice would you give to 22 year old kate grace who's just coming out of yale it's so crazy that i've been doing this for 10 years like i don't even um yeah it's it is really funny what what advice would i give uh i don't know (laughs) run the 800 (laughs) (laughs) keep going with that um no I mean I don't know like uh it is interesting I I've had so much fun and had so many different experiences and like in I don't necessarily think in some ways I'm like everything happened exactly as it should have happened I don't know mm-hmm. like um and I was able to have so many different things and like I had no there was no sponsorship there was no like no group offer or anything when I came out of college so like in terms of like a delayed development like everything happened at the right time and even now I'm so again like so excited about being able to be here with team boss but like that would have been impossible until like two years ago right like the, it wasn't mm-hmm. even a team so I really I seriously have those like zero regrets in terms of how my development happened um some sometimes I do wonder though like I wonder if if I had specialized in the eight immediately and never pulled up um like would I have more um would I have more like accolades at this point? Cause it does seem that the two years that I've ever specialized in the eight, I've done like incredible. Uh, I mean, that was like 2016 and then last year. So, um, 
and like way beyond what you would expect for someone of my age. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> if I had an alternate history, I'd be like, hey, just do the 800 and see how good you can be. <laughs> but, but that all said, like, it's been really freaking fun the way it's happened. So whatever. <laughs> do you mostly identify as an 800 runner at this point? Or are you a little bit more open-minded to your strengths and the type of athlete that you are? I mean, um, I'm definitely internationally most competitive at the 800. Um, so I guess, I don't know. I identify as, I identify as a middle distance runner. Um, it's a strange, it's funny. I mean, when I was coming up, like Brenda Martinez was very much like, um, is like my idea of the ultimate 815 runner. And in a weird way now, there's like fewer people like that. It seems like it's much more spring runners or 15 5k. Um, yeah, so it is a kind of a weird space to be. Um, but that said, like, uh, yeah, I would say I'm a middle distance runner. I try to stay open to um, what I could do in the 15. Um, I just, from the time I was like 16 years old, I've had like this unwavering belief in myself in the eight. And so that is something that I think is still there, but also like, I'm just having a ton of fun with training right now and I feel pretty strong. So I'm excited to just like mix it up across whatever distance is thrown my way. Coming off of last year where you didn't make the Olympic team, but you ran faster than you ever have over 800 meters at like 32, 33 years old, which is, which is uncommon, quite frankly, in that event. Did that give you the confidence or the energy that you needed to say to yourself, like, I'm going to stick with this event until I feel like I've maxed everything out of it that I can. Yeah. I mean, it was more like, it was more so, I mean, I went into that year deciding, knowing that I was going to do the eight. So it was mostly just like very fun to have that pay off and like be proven to be a good decision. Um, It is so crazy though. Like, I'll look again, the rankings came out and you see people like the year people were born <laughs> and it's like, um, a thing and Keely are like, I'm how, when, when are they born? Like 2003, two, yeah, 2002 or three. Yeah. <laughs> it's so wild. And I'm 88. It's crazy <laughs> to me. And it's honestly like at this point, I'm not even, it's like, I'm so proud of that. It's like, it, I'm so, it, I think it's so cool. Cause I really would never have, I would never have guessed that. Um, like again, being ranked. Yeah. Like my, by far my highest world ranking, um, at this age. And I just feel great. I don't know. And I think it's one of those things where like for so long, I thought I was going to just start going downhill and I know one day I will, but like, I just am trying to not put the cart before the horse. Right. And as long as I feel good, like just enjoy myself and enjoy the, like see what I can do. Um, yeah. And I guess that, so yes, I will do that in the 800, but also, and also honestly, like the more I get confident in my racing, the more I just want to race whatever. And so I'm sure this year I'll race 15s as well. I mean, I, I did PR the 15 last year as well, but like, I'm sure I'll race 15s. I'll race just different things and just like have fun with it. Cause at this point it's the com- competition and the racing. That's what I, is what I enjoy the most. You've had most of your professional success in the 800, but is that your favorite event to 
compete in when you're on the track? Um, yes, I think that's probably where you, the success comes from. I just feel so comfortable in it. Yeah. That said, like, it also, I mean, it is always this, like, give and take where after I run a full season of eights, I get not bored, but just like, I want something new. And then it's fun to do longer distances, because that gives me the chance to, I don't know, like, uh, just like, try different tactics, you know, it's just a new challenge. Aside from focusing specifically on the 800 last year, what else do you think were the biggest contributors to your success in that event? Was it just being part of a new group? Was it tweaks in training? I'd love to get a little more insight into that. Yeah, I mean, I do think a little bit of the tweaking of training, like making it so that um, we were focusing on like my key workouts were eight specific workouts or supplemental want like things around that. And, and I wasn't killing myself in kind of the longer tempo type stuff. Um, I do think, I mean, when I joined Bowerman, I very much like wanted to move to the, to the 1500 and I was trying to do all of the kind of 5k work and just like, it didn't, fully click it was always like feeling like I was a little bit um just too tired basically and like mm -hmm. I, my body wasn't responding to it well um it was okay but it just I was it was pretty inconsistent training and so I think just like getting back to consistent training and training the stuff that around my event was like a key thing uh and that just gave me also energy and confidence um maybe a little bit more specific like lift work. Uh, I was doing so good lift stuff also before, but um, just like some slight tweaks there, I think just for additive, a little bit more power. Um, and, and then if there's like the little bit of X factor, I think it's both that, like that feeling of having bet on yourself and then having it pay off just gives you so much confidence. Right. And then I, or having like, I did something that was probably un it was maybe like unconventional, but that I thought was the right decision. Um, and, and then also just, um, again, having this idea of, um, really working toward a goal, like as, as a team, or I guess like me and Joe, but then also like the whole, all the, the whole group kind of having this idea of having this, group thing that we want to prove um and I've always really responded well when I have that kind of like some kind of team mentality and I've always been on teams and so it's always been it's in some ways always been that way um but I think it's especially that way if it's like a group that you're creating or you feel like you're creating yourself right because you just have a lot of ownership over it uh, and that might just give you a tiny bit extra like oomph in races or whatever how is the group dynamic different with team boss versus when you were at Bowerman? It's interesting. I, on Bowerman, it wasn't, it didn't, it was very much felt like our own thing. And if anything, like what I loved about the club was how it was, it kind of started out as a, um, what, like a, like employee training group and that there's it was very much its own entity and then we had like a whole youth program and a whole master's program and it it felt in its own like it felt in its own, like it like its own thing that was being built and um but you're right like even more so here it is literally just 
Emma and Joe creating this group. And so I think in that sense, everyone who comes and cause it's new, everyone who comes, it's, you feel like you have, like you're having an immediate impact and that you are immediately like a part of this legacy and that you are responsible for that legacy. Right. And I think, as I was saying, like I always respond well when I have kind of like that responsibility um, because I want it to do well. And I want to like prove my, prove my worth and prove that this was a good choice and that like, this is a worthwhile training setup. Um, And I think when you, and I also like, and in that sense, like I want to, I don't know, um, like dedicate time, a little bit of time to my training partners or like kind of give, like show up extra for them. Right. And I think it's always like a very magical, there's always like this like kind of magical environment when people are in some sense sacrificing for their training partners, right? Like we are all very selfish. And so obviously like it's an individual sport, like we're going to do what what's best for us. But like even the tiny things where you're showing up to the track when you don't have a workout, but someone else does, it's weird because like technically that's maybe taking some of your energy away. But I don't know. I think on the, in the large, in the grand scheme of things, I just think that there is this benefit to feeling like you have bought in and done some small sacrifice for this group. And that in that sense, like you have a group behind you when you go to the line. You mentioned how, I mean, you've always trained with a group in your post-collegiate career. And you've been doing this for 10 years now. Over the last 10 years, I mean, the group training landscape has just evolved significantly. There are more groups now post-collegiately, I think, than ever before, whether they fall under a corporate umbrella or they're more of, you know, a, a looser setup, I guess, um, like you guys have with, you know, with Team Boss. I, I'm interested to just kind of get your like retrospective on that and just how the group training landscape here in the U.S. from your observation has shifted over the past decade or so. Yeah. I mean, when I was coming out of school, the options were really, I remember thinking like, oh, OTC, but again, Nike wasn't really an option. Um, or New, Jer- New-, New Jersey, New York track club. And maybe Mammoth, like they, they, there was like so few options. And it was kind of unclear. Um, it was just, I think also probably at the time was maybe a little like right, right before social media really exploded. So there just mm-hmm. was less insight into what was going on. Um, and as I was saying, I think everything I'm saying about team boss applies to a lot of different groups, right. In that like many, I mean, I think that we do it well or better, but like, I think there's a lot of people are going to get a ton of benefit from whatever group they're in. And I think people are just seeing that more and more, right. Um, like distance running obviously is individual, but first of all, in terms of shared resources, um, sharing the workload and training, um, shared knowledge that is helpful to have a group. Um, and then also, again, just like the intangible of that kind of fun training factor. Uh, it just, I don't know. It's, I just, I cannot imagine any other set, any other setup, but training with a group for a track race. I understand for distances, it, it can make sense to be more um, individual, but yeah, I've, I've always enjoyed it. 
Let's talk about the business side of the sport a little bit. It's not easy to have a professional career like you have, especially as a middle distance runner. And you have to keep that business hat on your head. I'm interested, how have you grown as a businesswoman in track and field over the past decade? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I... It is such a funny part of the sport. And that's one of the things that, like, I think you go into it, obviously, as an athlete. Like, you go into, you become an athlete because you're a good athlete in college, right? Not because you want to go into business. But then, really, you end up, like, as a small business. Like, that's what we are, right? Um, And I think, in a way, I approached it in the same way that I approached training, just with this kind of, this, like, open curiosity and trying to learn, I guess. Um, and understand like kind of giving myself the grace or whatever that I was going to mess up early on, um, and asking for help. Um, yeah, I mean, I also think I got lucky. Like, I mean, again, I, for example, my first contract with Wazelle ended up being, um, like a longer term contract with no reductions. And that was, I think like, so it was so nice to not have the stress early on of performance stuff. And on the other end, I actually am, I think a little bit more uh, moderate in that. I think that if someone's going to get a great contract, it makes sense to have some kind of performance reductions in there because they like you're being paid to because of your athletic ability, but um, it's, it comes with a ton of stress, right. Or like extra stress. And it's like trying to learn kind of how are you going to balance those things? Um, is that something that you want to take on when you're 22 years old? Um, yeah. I don't know. Have the job requirements of being a professional middle distance runner changed at all over the past decade? I mean, you, you mentioned performance and there's reductions and all of that in there. And I know there have been just, you know, across the sport, like shifts in how that looks now. But as you mentioned too, like social media today is, you know, much more prevalent than it was 10 or 11 years ago. And that factors in to a lot of these negotiations and i think you're someone who's uniquely positioned to just like talk about how that's changed over the past decade yeah i don't know if i mean the specific job requirements of being an athlete no but i think the opportunity for income has changed and i think the opportunity to market yourself in different ways has changed um so like i mean in terms of like going out, there's definitely, I mean, honestly, I'm still kind of more on the, on the end of the spectrum where I'll just like, I go race and I make prize money and I have like a base contract, but it's not, I'm not like necessarily doing the full influencer deal, mm-hmm. but I think people are, and they're making more money than me, you know? So I don't know. Like, um, I think that it is one of those things that if, it's something that you enjoy or that you're drawn to or that you don't feel like absolutely terrified by, I guess. Um, it can be like a great way to supplement, um, just to, to, to like support a career. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, I see a lot of people both with kind of like 
either with through social media accounts um, or like through online coaching. Um, there's just so many ways to be creative and to kind of, I think like the whole idea of the hustle side gig economy is like um, so prevalent that athletes in kind of these more niche sports um, can really like make more of a living than probably they could early on when it was literally just like you either have a contract or you don't. Does it bother you at all that people can make a better living than you, even if they're not running as fast because they're doing all of this other stuff? Or do you think it actually helps you to just focus more on what's most important, which is performance? No, I think it's great. I mean, honestly, like, I, I think it's great. I think it, it just adds more to the sport. I think that like the more that we have eyes on the sport, the better for everybody. And I think it's fun and it's creative. And I love seeing people's like genius come out in different ways. You know, um, I, yeah, I mean, if anything, I'm really looking forward this year to like having worlds and just like seeing kind of what kind of energy we can build around track and field in the U S um, and I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, in the end, like we, it is entertainment, right? Like it's fun. Mm -hmm. Like we are entertainers. So maybe my form of entertainment is a little bit more on the track than not. Um, but I definitely like, like bringing people along. And when I'm on my like racing stints or whatever, I enjoy like, um, sharing that with followers or whatever. And, um, having kind of like that celebratory nature, because like, we're, I mean, that's kind of what we're doing it, right? It's not just in a bubble. As an athlete, do you feel like the energy and excitement around the professional sport, let's just say here in the U.S. right now, is in a better place than it was when you first turned pro? I think so. I don't know if that's just me being more in it. But, um, I, I mean, again, I just think the landscape of how we all communicate now, like it's easier to be kind of a niche fan of something because um, you can find your people online, right? Um, and it definitely seems like, yeah, like there's kind of a fun up and coming like kind of crew that just is super fans of track. Uh I like there's also like different generations with it. It's funny because like I do feel, I mean, I definitely still am a little bit in the older generation where I feel like people that follow me are more like young moms or young professionals, um, not necessarily like the high school crowd, but it's, it's fun also seeing like the high school crowd kind of do their own thing with running and have their own ways of like making it fresh or whatever. Bringing it back to running. Talk to me about the current depth of American women's middle distance running right now in the 800, 1500 specifically, which is your wheelhouse. What do you think has contributed to so many women just running so fast these last few years? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think part of it is that group mentality, either training in groups or watching other people. It's like you see people racing something doing like hitting some time and suddenly it becomes like less scary i mean mm -hmm. honestly i would say that starting from the time like the kind of when mary kane was coming up and like alexa uh and seeing like high school girls run these great times and suddenly i think it was a little bit of wake-up call to everyone like oh let's not like don't put a mental block on 
410 or 407 or whatever it's like it's crazy how different the like for the 1500 for example how the times have just so drastically changed mm-hmm. now obviously i think the shoe technology has changed so that is somewhat of a factor in terms of times but that said i also think that we're seeing a ton of competition at a high level whereas it seemed like before it was maybe two people or three people who were competitive and now there's like maybe 10 who would be competitor i don't know 15 who could be who could be competitive like internationally so that's if you're going to compare people if you're going to compare um like people's rankings or whatever like that can't just be shoes you know yeah i mean the the depth is just so much deeper than it's it's ever been but i think you touched on a really important point it's just like that baseline of what's a good time in the 800 meters say or in the 1500 meters has completely shifted it's like all right you know 408 is not going to cut it anymore um it's a great time but it's just not gonna put you in a competitive position here in the u.s never mind internationally and i think that as a fan like that's been one of the most exciting things to see you know in the sport is like heartbreaking as it can be to see someone run like 402 and come in like fifth it's like well that's actually a very good sign because now it's like okay you know if you're not running sub four uh you're probably gonna have a hard time making a team or something totally i totally agree with that and yeah i mean it is interesting it's funny for me right now again just because i am like older a lot older than a lot of people that i'm racing against it's this weird thing where i'm like both feel competitive with people like i'm like oh i want to beat these people i want to like show them how good i am whatever whatever but i also feel like very it's also i have these two competing emotions and the other one is that i am like very much want these athletes to succeed and i'm like rooting for them and i have my own little favorites that i want to see come up i mean and in a way i think i mean it's possible because like if i'm two Olympic cycles past them, right? That I'm going to be able to watch them just like totally shine in years into the future. And so it's, I don't know, it's, it's very fun because it's like, on the one hand, I want to line up with them this year and like, whatever, be totally like fearless on the track and like do my thing. Um, but it's almost in, a th- it's, it, in my mind, I'm almost like, it's almost like teaching them what it is what it means to be a good like racer (laughs) and Mm -hmm. that's my like gift to american distance running is i'm gonna like show them how like much of a badass they need to be and then they're gonna go and do it and like be incredible i love that and i think taking that a step further showing them that you can have a long career in the middle distances that you don't have to if you don't want to move up in distance earlier than you think you should if that's you know your event and that's what you want to focus on might as well try and max it out even if that means doing it until your mid 30s totally i totally and i think especially for women i think it's one of these things where i mean we're learning so much right now with different types of training and I think it's so for so long, we kind of just assume, I guess, obviously assumed that men and women trained the same and developed the same. And it's like very clearly not the case. And I think we're seeing a lot more and more examples of women, especially who are competitive into their thirties that, um, I think it's worthwhile just to kind of like throw the playbook out a little bit and that realize that some of our ingrained knowledge maybe isn't actually knowledge it was just like assumptions in terms of when your peak is when you're done when you need to move up how long do you 
stick with middle distance racing. Do you see like an end to it in sight? Or are you just so focused on how you're running right now that you'll cross that bridge when you get to it? Um, I'm just going to cross it when I get there. I, I, yeah, I, every, I, I always have my own thoughts and I try very hard to not, um, get too stuck in them because you're right. Like at one point, as we were saying, like, you don't know what's going to happen in a year. There's so many different ways life can go. And I think it's worthwhile to, I've always done well when I am focused on like the season ahead of me um, and let whatever comes come beyond that. Do you have any interest in doing serious racing off the track? I mean, I think you've won a, a road mile national championship, which is a pretty unique event on its mm-hmm. own, but you know, years down the road, like getting into some longer road racing, like experimenting with the long stuff Are you like, you know, I'm a middle distance runner and I'm going to try to be the best middle distance runner I can be for as long as I can be. And then I'll move on to other interests. I mean, I just think I'm a really good middle distance runner. and I don't know if I'm that good of a long distance runner. <laughs> like, um, if I could, if I could be like, yeah, I'm going to be one of the best marathoners in the country. Um, I would be open to that, but I don't know, man, if I feel like, <laughs> training, like I'm, I'm just, I'm just good at middle distances. <laughs> like as soon as I get beyond, I mean, yeah, whenever I've had anything that's like longer tempos and stuff, I, I love a good 12 mile hard long run. What I, what I say is maybe like maybe some half marathons, half marathons are super fun. Um, this is another thing that Joe agrees on. Like, he's like, yeah, like half marathons are great. Everyone should train for half marathons. So I think like maybe just having a fun half marathon or something where I could just do it. But I don't know, even in that, like, it's not like you're going to see me out there competing at the U S championships, maybe just, um, in like my local road race or something. Shifting gears a little bit last summer in an interview with women's running, you said, I think what has helped me in my career is just this idea that you can have emotions, but you don't have to be governed or controlled by them. You can feel them, but then you move past it and still act. And just from the outside looking, and I feel like that's something you've been really good at over the course of your career. How long did it take you to realize that? Because I feel like that's something that runners at all levels struggle with to some degree. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I generally was always pretty good about emotional control and about like preparing for races. And that said, I've also put in a lot of work, um, like mental training or whatever work, um, at various points in time. Um, I think people, especially if they end up talented early on, it's almost like you can miss that, that stage of development because your races are easy. And so you don't work on the mental side of it. Um, and specifically for me, I would say like in the year leading up to the 2016 Olympics, um, when I was with Drew Wartenberg, I did a lot of stuff. And then in the last like year or two, um, and yeah, I mean, I think everyone across whatever your career is can benefit from like understanding how your mind works and how it like holds you back and or can move you forward. Right. Um, I've gone through different stuff. Like early on, it was more about race nerves and, um, fear of certain, of 
like fear in practice, like fear of certain workouts and like making myself not have mental blocks on that. Last year, it was a ton of stuff on like mindfulness, um, staying present, um, which again, I think especially when you get into big competition scenarios uh, or big Olympic years, it can be so easy to just like have your mind spiral and be 10 steps ahead of you. You're right. Um, and what's the moral of that? Like, again, I think I benefit from like always kind of working on it. I feel like every few months I'm reading some kind of sports performance type book. Um, and yeah, I think people don't realize like at one point we are all so similar in terms of our abilities, like physical abilities, that I really do believe that like the um, that like kind of special whatever factor that's going to get you to win the race or hit the PR or whatever is it is going to come from training, but like training and your mind are the same thing, right? It's like your your mind's what is what is what's pushing you in training, and so it's um so worthwhile to put the time into trying to be your best uh in that sense as well do you ever have doubts (laughs) um yeah kind of (laughs) i don't know i've always been a very confident person um but i think I honestly, humor is so big. I think humor is an underappreciated, humor is an underappreciated like uh, tool in terms of dealing with doubts. Because definitely I have doubts, but more what I, I just laugh at them. Like I, I mean, for example, last year when I was leaving or like when I was going to join this group or um if I'm about to go into a race and I don't feel totally set or whatever, like the ability to laugh at yourself is just, is so key. Um, and I think there's probably a humility in that as well. And like, again, if you're going to go into it, maybe like an acceptance of what is, um, so yeah, you probably could get like some, a little bit more heady in terms of explaining why, but like, if you don't if you take the why out of it, just laughing um, at the doubts is probably my um, is like maybe my my number one tactic. Which and again, I think what that is also is just like uh, not taking yourself so seriously that you're that you're gonna like freak out and get in your own way, you know. Yeah, I love that. I think that's amazing advice because I think runners across the entire spectrum, whether they're just getting into the sport uh, or they're at your level by and large just take themselves too seriously uh so i think that's you know if there's a i mean there are a lot of great takeaways from this conversation but i think as of right now like that's probably the, the <laughs> best one it's just like learn to laugh at yourself uh because i think it can you know help you get out of that state of paralysis that i think a lot of us find ourselves in sometimes totally totally and really i mean i really do try to work on like practicing dealing with doubts in practice right i mean there's so many times in practice when it, something's going to hurt. You're not quite sure you're going to finish the rep. You get early on. Most of my doubts are like a third of the way into my, my workout. And then I'm like, shit, I'm not going to be able to finish this workout. You know, mm-hmm. um, I specifically think of like a tempo we did a few weeks ago uh, that for some reason was like way harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, or yeah, like you start a set of four hundreds and like your legs are dead and you uh, like you've, 
16400s and four in you want to like you want to stop and so that i honestly i mean this is starting when i back in 2016 and very much this idea of practicing practicing mental tactics in practice and i think like that is the best time to deal with to to, to deal with any of those doubts because of course like those are gonna happen in a race right and that's like you're basically simulating a race experience at that point um and yeah again for me it's like a little bit of humor kind of um like dark and also just trying to be very present um and maybe sometimes doing mantras i tend to not love the stuff where you're like pumping yourself up so much i just feel like it's fake versus just like accepting what is and being in the moment and not like thinking ahead you know um yeah and i feel like when you do that or you're like you know, fakely trying to like pump yourself up to, to get excited for something, then one, you probably weren't that excited about it in the first place, but two, you just put yourself in this like heightened emotional state and then you can't stay on the level and make good decisions and work through some of those difficult moments that we all experience. That's exactly, yes, that's so true. It's interesting. Cause I have this thing where like, I really don't like being hyped. So I won't like, I really don't, especially before races i don't like it when people are telling me how good i am or how i'm going to go out there and just like which it's weird because like internally i know i'm very confident but you're right it's like it's you want to stay level almost um and for me my most i feel most secure when i'm like on my rock solid foundation and i just know who i am and i know that i will go out there and compete um and like any kind of i don't need any of the extra hype to get me there if that makes sense no makes it makes total sense and one thing i want to highlight that you just said a minute or so ago that seems really obvious but i think it goes over a lot of runners and coaches heads is that like practice isn't just for like practicing hitting your paces or if you're a marathon or practicing your fueling all that sort of stuff it is to practice working through you know those doubts that we all experience when we're standing on the starting line or we're in the middle of the race. Like, I don't know if I can hold this pace, but you know, I've, I've got to try it. I think that, I don't know why it just gets overlooked, uh, by a lot of people. And they try to rehearse that like outside of the practice environments. Like, all right, I'll think about it while I'm laying in my bed before I go to sleep at night, which then you can't go to sleep and (laughs) becomes like a whole nother problem, you know, on its own. But I think that is, that is like such like good practical advice is to practice that aspect of it too you know when you're out on your runs or in the middle of your workouts totally and i do that especially especially if something's going off like yesterday for example two days ago we were doing this like long run first of all long run switched supposed to be a long run it ended up at the track which like doesn't make that because because it snowed which like shouldn't make that much of a difference but we're all like ocd runners so everyone gets upset right so i think like the number one thing is like this is the exam like this is literally what happens in races like things change and so literally the only like the point of this day is to not freak out that our schedule changed right because like it's you're practicing like being able to go with the flow and also obviously like trusting that it's still the work's getting done whatever and then secondly like i was in this weird thing where i wore too many clothes and i was really overheating or just like feeling you know that like you're feeling so claustrophobic and and uncomfortable and also i wore the wrong i wore shoe i decided not to do it i was just doing it in like basic shoes not like the super shoes and so like that was i was pissed at myself for that because i was like my my feet were so heavy and then literally every rep i was like 
feeling so claustrophobic um like I wanted to just rip my clothes off but obviously like you only have a minute in between reps so you don't have time to do that and so after like two or three were me being annoying I was like okay literally like the whole point of this workout right now is me just to accept this fate and like practice practice getting this done when I'm slightly uncomfortable you know and I think that kind of stuff it's small but i do think that kind of stuff just like builds your mental capacity to deal with discomfort in races yeah i couldn't i couldn't agree more a couple more questions before we wrap up you talked about how you're a confident person where do you draw confidence from i feel like i've talked about this before and i don't know it's funny we did this like um usatf had this this thing last year I was working with with, um, a sports psych through USATF, Brian Zuliger, who's great. And um, kind of talking about this idea of having a, you want to have your core identity. um, Kind of what I was saying, like this core identity that's like separate from a runner, just like you know who you are and that like your performances are not going to affect that. And um, I don't know if I've always had that. I definitely think like, I, if I was going to psychoanalyze myself, like probably had a little bit of family drama when I was younger that kind of showed me like was basically made me and my sister like prove to ourselves that we were very capable of like dealing with maybe some adverse circumstances. Um, And I think, um, I don't know. It's one of those things that like, it's like anything kind of what we're talking about. If you, if you prove to yourself that you can overcome like slight adversity, then you like races and aren't, aren't scary. You know? Um, I, I wish I could like give people, I don't, I really don't know where my confidence comes from. And I really, and I wish I could give people that, like if there's one gift is just like the, knowledge that you are enough i mean it's funny like i very very much do not talk about like my religion or spirituality um and i but that said like it's something i read a ton about and i do think that regardless of how you define it that it is important to have some kind of grounding practice and i and again that idea that like that you are enough and that you are whole and that you are like worth worth it worthy um and so however someone comes to that i think it is like oh like maybe one of the most important things in life is just to like find that for yourself um yeah is that something that you ever just catch yourself like needing to remind yourself that you are enough where you like literally have to have this this little conversation with yourself where you say, Kate, you are enough. And just being able to say that and internalize it gives you the confidence that you need to tackle whatever it is that's in front of you. Hmm. Probably should remind myself sooner. It's one of those things where it's like when you need the reminder, you forget to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like if I'm feeling like super like low capacity or something, um, again, I'm thinking about this now, like coming, I was a little bit sick and then I feel like I've just been like kind of not doing much this week. Right. Um, and then you just get in the spiral of feeling like, Oh man, I'm like, I'm a piece of crap. Why can't I do anything? (laughs) So I guess at that moment I probably should be like, Oh yeah, Kate, you're enough. But I don't think about it at that moment. Um, yeah, 
I, uh, I've, I've learned to at least acknowledge to like my inner circle of friends when I feel that way. Um, and not that I even need them to like, again, tighten me up, but just like to say it's okay. You know, um, like, yeah, just say it's okay. Like just have a day. And, um, I think there is again, value in having your friend and your support group, just be able to, um, if you kind of forget that you're, it's, if you forget that, you, that, or if you're feeling bad that you're not like at a hundred percent every single day, then be like, it's okay, Kate, just like take a day and you'll be at it tomorrow or whatever. Like let's go out this weekend or something. To wrap this one up. When I interviewed you in 2017, you told me Kate Grace is a human, a woman and a runner who maybe took a little longer than some to figure out her path and get straight on priorities. Someone who loves life, loves pushing herself, testing her boundaries and trying new things and has been able to focus that spirit toward running over the past few years. And you've still been focusing that spirit on running. Where do you think you'll focus that spirit after running not that i think you will or should hang it up anytime soon yeah <laughs> it's so funny i i remember you asking that and i'm proud of myself for coming up with that it's a little bit corny but i like it <laughs> um that's a great answer yeah i um i mean honestly it's changed so much because again i at one point i thought i was gonna, I was gonna go back to school and like become a doctor and that was bef before i was doing this for 10 years so uh yeah. I don't have a great answer. It's always changing. I think kind of in line with my thoughts on running is that I hope that I don't, I'm not scared of making decisions and just trying new things. Um, I think in general, being a little bit more of service, like as we're saying, like I really enjoy what I do and I really enjoy running, but it is like innately a selfish endeavor. And so either with coaching or with like, other ways of kind of mentoring I do I'm really looking forward to having like the next part of my life have more of that in it as well quick follow-up to that do you think you'll always be an athlete in some capacity hmm interesting um yes like I'm so em embodied or whatever like I'm like loving my body I um so I feel like I will always do something. I don't know in terms of competitive, like I don't know if I'm necessarily going to be like kind of out there masters doing that kind of stuff, but yeah, exploring challenges, moving myself through the world, I, something. All right. I think that's a great place to wrap this one up. Kate, this has been super fun. Thank you so much for coming on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. I'm really happy we did this. All right. Thank you so much for listening in to the Morning Shakeout podcast. A big thank you to both Tracksmith and the Kaiser Permanente San Francisco Half Marathon 10K and 5K for sponsoring this episode of the show. Tracksmith's No Days Off collection is designed to help you weather Mother Nature's worst and features staples for getting out the door in the most miserable of conditions. Go to tracksmith.com slash Mario to check out some of my favorite apparel picks and use the code Mario at checkout to get free shipping on your order while also helping support LA Saves Track. 
I'd love for you to join me at the Kaiser Permanente San Francisco Half Marathon 10K and 5K on February 6th, 2022. This is one of my favorite races, and there's something here for everyone. Register today at getfitkpsf.com slash race and use the code SHAKEOUT, that's all caps, when you check out before January 31st to save 10 bucks on your registration fee. A couple more things before we wrap up. I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my longtime producer, John Summerford, who makes every episode of the podcast sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for running the AM Shakeout social media accounts and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. Last thing, if you are digging this podcast, I think you will love my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout, and you can subscribe to it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Every Tuesday morning, you'll get my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about reading and listening to. It's a quick read, 5-10 minutes tops, but it will give you plenty to think about throughout the rest of the week. Again, you can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of The Morning Shakeout Podcast. (laughs) 